If you have your Bible on you, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, Kenzie. Thanks, Clark. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Are y'all ready to go today? Man, I preached this in the first service and the revival broke out. I'm surprised people are already gone. Like, it was so, y'all... I mean, lower your expectations for Cody's jokes, but raise your expectations for this sermon. Ecclesiastes, that's a joke too. Ecclesiastes chapter, the Holy Spirit can do what the Spirit wants. Let's go. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 through 14, and this is how the text reads. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil of which he toils under the sun? generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It's unhappy business that God's given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray now, as I pray uh, every time I'm up here, I pray specifically for uh, your anointing. I want your spirit to be on me. I want to say what you want me to say. Do what you want me to do. pray that you'd move in this room. And I pray that you'd give the people in these seats eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that they'd learn something not just head knowledge, heart knowledge, something that would change them, maybe give them a different way of thinking about the universe, thinking about the world, thinking about themselves, and thinking about you. Um, give us new eyes, a fresh perspective. Pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. In the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon spoke often about what it means to live under the sun. Y'all heard that phrase before? under the sun. He says it often in Ecclesiastes. And according to his perspective, uh, the universe was divided between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. The supernatural and the natural place where God is and the place where he is not. For us to better understand what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes when he uses that phrase, I think it's helpful for us to think about this as the difference between uh, over the sun and under the sun. Like over the sun, where God is, where God reigns, or something like the, the heavens, under the sun, where he's not, uh, a world without God, without divine interaction, without divine intervention. We're talking about the difference between the heavens above and the earth below. Now, maybe it would be helpful for you to think about it like this, okay? The other day, I was at Weigel's, and uh, I got in line uh, behind a, a, a guy there who uh, had a tattoo on the back of his neck. Um, it was just above his shirt line, and it said the word Sarah 
okay? And, um, and then just over um, that tattoo of the word Sarah, there was another tattoo. This one looked like a, a stamp, and it just had the word void over top of it, okay? And so, yeah, I'm not, maybe you know this guy. I don't know. Maybe you know Sarah. But um, I took that to mean that at some point, um, this lady had been an important part of his life, this guy's life. Um, but now she was gone. Now she was, she was no longer uh, a part of his, his world. And so when we think about, when Solomon's talking about life uh, under the sun, it might be helpful for us to think about uh, that word uh, earth with the word void stamped on top of it. Because he is talking about uh, a world void of God, uh, a world where God isn't present under the sun. And I'm not the only one to, to speak to this. Um, uh, the author, Ravi Zacharias, talks about it this way. He says, the key to understanding Ecclesiastes is that phrase, under the sun. And what it literally means is you lock God out of a closed system and you're left with only this world of time plus chance plus matter. Now, Solomon offers us a pretty bleak view of what life looks like under the sun. Like in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all meaningless. It's, it's futile. It's a chasing after the wind. He goes, we're all born, and then we toil, and then we die, and then that cycle just repeats itself with the next generation. I mean, if I'm being just, you know, blatantly honest with you, church, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not the most uplifting book, okay? If you are um, a philosopher or interested in philosophy at all, Ecclesiastes, the book of Job, are probably the most, like, existential books uh, in the Scripture, and you can see that. To live under the sun means to live life without God, without his influence, without his perspective without his direction and without his love under the sun this world and the things that are in it are the only thing that matters under the sun our emotions shift with the weather under the sun pleasure is an end unto itself under the sun there's no absolute truth under the sun there's no consistent ethic under the sun, there's no redemption, no grace, no forgiveness. Under the sun, our elected officials are the highest authority. Under the sun, people are nuisances and strangers are seen as enemies. Under the sun, there's constant conflict and constant division because the world is filled with millions of different people with millions of different opinions and very little resolution. Church, Living under the sun is exhausting, and it's hollow, and it's hopeless, and yet so many of us still choose to stay there, like so many of us still choose to live there. The Apostle Paul offers us uh, an alternative uh, to Solomon's view, and I think it's pretty good. This is Paul's counter, and this comes from Philippians, or Colossians, rather, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and these are the first couple of verses. And this is what Paul says. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is Paul's way of saying, if you want to find real life, real meaning, real purpose, you're going to have to get over the sun. You're going to have to go over the sun. You're going to have to set your mind and your gaze on things that are above. Church, today I feel like that's what God wants me to tell you, all of you, those watching online as well. It's time to get over the sun, to get over the sun. Too many of you are letting the world and its problems and its drama and its constant bad news and its difficulties drag you down. But that's because you've set your gaze on the wrong things. Many of us spend far too much time looking around and far too little time looking up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like we spend far too much time looking at each other and far too little time looking, looking to the heavens. I think today's the day to get over the sun. It's time for you to embrace a new reality, to see things from a heavenly perspective. To live over the sun means to live life with God in his presence, sheltered in his love. It means to walk in step with the Spirit. It means we do what God tells us to do. We go where God tells us to go. It means we live our life according to his plans, his purpose, and his ethic, and not our own. Ultimately, as believers, what I think it means to get over the sun is that we take our cues from heaven. I think what it means for us as believers is to get over the sun, it means we take our cues from heaven and ultimately from Jesus. This is what I mean, okay? I played baseball in high school, and uh, I wasn't very good. I, I pitched, and I played first base, and I was probably below average at both, okay? But uh, as a, a pitcher, I, I had some mammoth home runs hit off of me. I mean, I was often on the other end of some career days for folks, okay, really. Uh, I remember um, this one time I was pitching at, at a high school that I don't even know if it exists anymore. It was Chucky Doak uh, High School, and I was pitching against a guy named, uh, he was nicknamed Smiley. His name was Smiley Sutherland. And he came up to the plate, and the catcher told me what to throw, and I knew how good this hit was. He said, throw the ball way outside, a fastball. I threw a fastball way outside. He stepped into it, hit a home run, opposite field, boom, nailed it. Next time he came up to the plate, catcher gave me the upside down bird. I'm not going to do that so we don't get it on camera, but he gave me the upside down bird, which meant I was supposed to throw at the guy. He had the nerve to hit a home run off of me like that. Wait till he gets this like 39 mile an hour fastball and he's on his hands, right? <laughs> and so, so I throw this fastball like right in on his hands and he just took a step back and turned on it and sent it over the left field fence. Like I'll never forget it. on this day, I threw this guy two, two balls and he hit them both like out of this world. And then there was a guy from Halls that a lot of y'all probably know, again, pitching in high school. A guy's name's um, Chad Borf. Any of y'all know Chad Borf? I, I know the, the Turners did. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, I threw a pitch to Chad Borf. He hit the ball so hard, I don't think it's come down. Like, I'm pretty sure it's still there. Every time I go to pick up Sophie Nella at school, like, I pull in the parking lot, and I'm just looking up, waiting, <laughs> because I think it's going to be this big cosmic joke that one day that ball is going to land, like, right at my feet. And I'm going to be like, all right, here it is. Like, it just, it just fell right here. Now, usually, as a, as a pitcher, um, especially as I got a, a little bit older and got a little bit better, uh, our coach, his name was uh, Ease, last name Ease, he would let us call our own pitches, 
Okay, so uh, the catcher would tell me what to throw. I'd shake it off or, ta or take it or whatever. But whenever we were playing a team that was really good or whenever we were at a moment in the game that it was like it really mattered, maybe we're in a tournament or something, or whenever a, uh, a really good hitter came up to the plate, sometimes our coach wanted to call the pitches from the bench. And so what he would do is he would come out and he usually like, I don't know, did the little coaching kneel down stance right outside of the, the dugout. And uh, I'm up on the mound in a stretch. And so he's right there. Like I can see him in my view and the catcher can see him in his view. And he's telling me what to throw when he's telling the catcher what to expect. And so in those moments, we took our cues from our coach and it made sure that we stayed on the same page like I we had Jason and I had different roles I was throwing he was catching but he knew what I was trying to throw and he knew where he was supposed to be it kept us on the same page church as uh, believers uh, I think this is how we should relate to each other I think it would do us a lot of good if before we looked at each other if we took our cues from Jesus like if before we related to each other, if we all just kind of turned our gaze to heaven and we looked at Jesus and we waited on him to give the signs and we're like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's how I'm supposed to feel about this situation. That's how I'm supposed to respond. And then once he tells me what to do and then he tells you what to do, then we get about his business on the earth. Because at that point, I think that's how we would all stay on the same page, right? It's like we're not arguing with each other. We're looking, our eyes are on him going, okay, what do you... Okay, that's what, all right, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. Today we are kicking off a, a new series called We Greater Than Me. And it is a series based on unity. And a statement that we say here often is that we can do more for the kingdom together than uh, we could ever do apart. And, and I believe that to be true. But church, if we ever want to experience real unity, real togetherness, real oneness, then collectively, we're going to have to get over the sun. Collectively, we're going to have to set our minds on things that are above, and collectively, we're going to have to take our cues from heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm talking about making sense. If so, say amen. You need a little response to be nice. I'm tired this morning. What I'm saying is this. When we step into the kingdom of God, and we position ourselves under the lordship of Christ, we surrender the rights to call our own pitches. You, when we step under his authority, we surrender to his authority. And there's a deep connection between unity and surrender. If we're not all willing to agree on like who the ultimate authority is and who we should all be taking our cues from, we're never going to agree on anything. Church, as long as our personal opinions are more important than Jesus' commands, unity will remain elusive. We, greater than me, only works as long as obedience is more important than opinions. And what Jesus says is more important than what we feel and trying to walk in his ways is more important than trying to get our own way. Are you with me? Yeah, that amen. That'll preach, Pastor Brock. I like that. I got amen in the early service right there. So, take that. 
Francis Chan says this in his book, Until Unity. He says, my fear is that perhaps, without even realizing it, we've fallen into the very dangerous habit of neglecting God's commands in favor of our logic. My fear is that perhaps, without even realizing it, we've fallen into the very dangerous habit of neglecting God's commands in favor of our logic. And here's the thing. If we aren't all taking our cues from heaven, if we aren't all taking our, if we don't all get over the sun and we're not all taking our cues from Jesus, then somebody's going to miss a sign. And a lot of times that's where, that's where division happens. That's, that's when it becomes destructive, when we're not all looking at the same place. Set our mind on things that are above, maybe taking our cues from heaven, and here's why. Two texts. First one, John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. John chapter 17 is known, it's, it's an amazing chapter of scripture, that's homework. If you want homework, go read John 17. It's known as the high priestly prayer. And other than the full sermon on the mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, John 17 is where we hear a full dialogue of Jesus. And it's amazing because it's just him talking to his father about the things that matter to him most. Like he's praying and he's so specific about what he prays for. But the main theme of the high priestly prayer is unity. And at one point, John 17, verses 20 and 21, this is what Jesus says to his father. He says, God, I want them to be one as we're one. That way the world will know that you sent me. That's his prayer for the church. That's his prayer for his followers. He's going, I want them to be one as we're one. That way the world will know that you sent me. Church, there is, I don't think you hear this talked about much, but one of the church's primary forms of evangelism is, is unity. Like in a world where everything, there's so much split and so much uh, division, uh, it, it amazes the world when they see people love each other unconditionally. I mean, how can we claim that we have experienced the love of an unconditional Savior if we don't love each other unconditionally? I mean, think about how ludicrous that looks to the rest of the world when we leave these doors and we talk about, man, Jesus loves no matter what, but I got standards. I got, you're going to have to earn it with me. It, it, it makes no sense. Second text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Again, this is Paul, and this is what he says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. It seems crazy, but this is what Paul says here. He's like, hey, do, do you want to stand out in the world? Like, do you want to look different from the rest of the world? Here's the secret. Get along. Like, like each other. Learn to let some stuff go. You got some differences? Learn to let some stuff go. And then, in this perverse world, you'll shine like stars in the sky, like stars, star stars, like stars in the universe. And do y'all know where stars are? Ooh, I like that. Where are they? They're all... They're over the sun. I mean, I know the sun's a star. Don't mock me, okay? The sun is a star, but most of the stars are over the sun. And so if we are ever going to shine like stars in the universe, we're going to have to learn to get along, and we're going to have to get over the sun. Pray with me, and I'm done. 
Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, give us the sword of unity at this place that can only come um, through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Connect us in a supernatural way. Tether us to you. Help us, God, when it comes to relationships, friendships, what it looks like to serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to get our cues from heaven, to take them directly from your son. May you always be the first place that we look. Let us look to you. We go, that's what you want us to do? Okay. That's where you want us to go? Okay. That's how you want us to love each other? Okay. God, at Whitestone, let us be known as a church that takes our cues from heaven. And when the rest of the world outside our doors seems to be dividing and seems to be at each other's throats and everything seems to be on fire, God, in here it's peace and it's love and it's hope and it's connection, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.